Welcome back to the Mind Your Business podcast. And today we're going to go a bit deeper into my side of social media. Not the positive though. We're going to focus on a bit of the negative stuff, more of like the stuff that comes with being a content creator, the hardships and all that in between. Are you ready, Mark? I am indeed. Thank you, Tom. Well, let's start by just getting, what, what have you been up to in the past month? Well, any... I went and saw my kids for Christmas in England, so that was good. And awesome. then we went and had a um, short time in Morocco, and then that was the end of my Christmas holidays. And then I did this sort of yak route trip, uh, Dubai, Singapore, Taiwan, Palau, Port Moresby, Sydney, and back to New Zealand. All of that was work. Wow. Do you remember any of it? That seems like a lot to take in. No, I do remember. I remember the best cocktail bar I've ever, ever drank in, in Taiwan. Um, Yeah. Fantastic diving in Palau, but I was there to try and get a bank license. So that was work. And then everyone was complaining about Port Moresby and terrible things happening there, but I found it in really good shape. Yeah, well, my tra- travel resume for the past month is a lot shorter than yours. I know, but a lot deeper, <laughs> mate. Go on. It was Vietnam for one week, yeah. Malaysia for one week, and then back to the second home, Bali, Indonesia for mm-hmm. 10 days just to relax and film a bit more content. But I've just fallen in love with traveling again. That's I don't wanna, good, mate. I don't want to be home anymore. I want to just keep going around, eating unique food, mm-hmm. meeting new people. It's just more fun. It certainly is. Really. <laughs> so tell me... If you had one dish, not one restaurant, was there one dish that stood out from your travels? It was probably the Vietnamese food because it's very healthy. It's very clean. It's a lot of vegetables, probably the vermicelli, which is like Mm -hmm. dry noodles with pork or something. Banh mi. I had a banh mi every single day when I was in Vietnam and it Mm -hmm. was a dollar as well. Super cheap. But Malaysia surprised me the most out Mm -hmm. of my trip. I wasn't really expecting a lot going into Malaysia. I knew like it was a Southeast Asian country, but it was very clean, very hygienic. People were lovely and it was a car city, not a bike city. Mm -hmm. So it was great. And did you connect with any of the politics there, which is obviously a big change after a period of pretty, you know, devastating politics? Well, Mark, that's the great difference between you and me. I have no idea about politics, even in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) That is why you're so happy and everyone loves you and everyone hates me because you just don't focus on the terrible. Yep. So I have no idea about the politics in Malaysia, but I did meet someone named Joshua, shout out Joshua, who caught us when we were trying Nasi Lemak in uh, Kuala Lumpur. And then he ended up taking us around for the week, had nothing else on. It's just fantastic when you find somebody like that and suddenly you feel like you're seeing the culture up front. Yeah, every moment was kind of pinch me because we didn't really go to the most like touristy areas. We went to a durian farm in Bentong, which was like an hour and a half away on the highway, tried some local dumplings at a very local place, locals only, and it was incredible. And which side do you come out on the durian? Are you team durian or team Hayden? I'm team durian. Yeah. I've had it before a few times, but Malaysia's the home of it, the yeah. king, King Durian. And no, it was good. Came, popped out of the tree onto the floor. Fantastic. And that's the best way to have them straight out of the tree yeah. without any sort of handling or transportation. I'll tell you a quick story about the Durian though, because I almost died at the Durian what? farm. Well, because one landed on your head. So the Durian farm we went to in Bentong, um, two days after, there was a brutal murder at the, fu- at the farm. Yuck. Two workers had a disagreement. 
And one of them just really didn't know when to stop, I guess. Terrifying. I know, but that's some dad law for me when I'm older. Do you yeah. know what dad law is? No. Some more, some more Gen Z slang for you. Yeah, please. I'd take a guess. I'm really dumbfounded <laughs> that anyone could use dad in the same sense as you, mate, unless you've had a little bit of skiing off piste I didn't know about. Dad law, one guess. Okay. What's your one guess? That you're going to tell your kids a story, that story. That's it. It's pretty much it. Making <laughs> stories and memories before your wife or partner yeah. can tell to your kids. Beautiful. And there's a lot more stories there, Mark, but we probably will keep them off air. Yeah, I think so. Well, all I tell you is my kids can tell you my dad law far better than me. <laughs> all right. Let's get into today's topic. I'm going to read it a bit off my phone just so we get the nail on the head. Before we start, for the people listening, I love my job. I'm not complaining. But for the viewers out there, the people coming up in the next generation that want to be creators, I think it's really important we talk about these topics because they're kind of issues and things that they're going to face on this journey. So I hope you guys listening get learn something from this and honestly just get you a bit aware of like kind of the industry you want to pursue. Well, and you don't want to be like that guy who ended up 500 kilos or something, that creator who was doing some weird stuff and then said, eat more, eat more, and he became... Yeah, but I think he was doing it for the views, though. Yeah, he was, but that's my point, which is you still look pretty good, pretty happy, oh, all a, things. But... There's a little belly appearing, but, you know, that comes with eating a lot of food. Yeah, but you've been able to keep it <laughs> within bounds. He completely destroyed his life. Yeah. So all the kids want to be creators. Is your sense that creation is an isolating job? Do you feel like you're separated from the rest of people doing what you do? It's it's definitely a very important question that people need to like be aware of because if you want to be the best at something and you want to work the hardest at something, you have to do it by yourself. The first two years of me creating content was very isolating because none of my friends understand my understood my vision. My parents were a bit confused about what I was trying to do also. So it was just like I had to go out on my own and just create content, believe in myself, always have to believe in yourself. It's like you ask someone what their job is and this is a bit off topic, but you ask someone what their job is and they're, they're a bit like mundane to say it, but you ask someone what their hobby is and they'll jump off their seat. And that's what for me content creation was whenever when people ask what's your hobby, it was like creating content. That's what I love and I'm glad that I – kind of had the epiphany early on that this is what I was going to do and this is what I was going to put all my time and effort into. But loneliness is one of the biggest misconceptions of making content, from my perspective at least. I find it very tiring. You have to believe in yourself so much. If you don't believe in yourself, it's probably the same with your businesses, Mark. If you don't believe in what you're doing, what's the point of doing it? But it seems to me you've got three elements of what makes it isolating. One is anybody who's trying to be the best takes a whole lot of time and effort. People just don't like people competing that hard. Yeah. And especially in your generation, that amount of focus is hard. So that's one. Um, the second part is, do you think that were you to be a musician, right, 
and trying to do it. People would say, oh, well, I sort of get that, whereas it wasn't the case for you. And then the third part was actually what you were doing because you could see it before other people. Yeah, because I started my content journey when TikTok was in its early days and people didn't, they were, they didn't look at it like, oh, what are you doing? It was like a kind of a cringy thing to do, film yourself and post it online. But fast forward three or four years now, every man, every person wants to be a content creator mm. and it's changed because it's become so acceptable in society now. Mm-hmm. People would rather hear their news from, well, Gen Z would rather no, hear their yeah. news from TikTok than actual news. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's definitely one thing that, if you want to be a creator, it's very to be very self-aware of. Is It is going to be lonely. It's going to be hard. You have to have a lot of patience. Just because your video gets 100 views, 200 views at the start, that's a good sign, not a bad sign. It's just about continuous, continuing to create, being patient, and just supporting yourself pretty much. You have to do it all yourself. And when do you reckon were your darkest days? <sighs> Honestly... At the start, it was so much fun because there was no pressure or mm-hmm. energy or views to maintain or brand work to bring in. It was more just a passion project for fun. I would say the dark days was during COVID when I moved out of home. I was living in Melbourne with a few creator friends, like just for myself. And that was really struggling. Making content only within the four walls of your house, not being able to collaborate with other creators, not being able to collaborate with the general public. That was really hard for me. And it's, I struggled a lot. I put on a lot of weight. I had a lot of self-doubt about myself during that time. But that made me look at content a different way, more creatively. Okay, I'm inside my house. What can I do? How can I make a piece of content today? What am I going to string together? You know what I mean? And I really think that from that negative came out the positive of me being able to creatively think a lot harder. Right. So because that was the question I was going to ask, which is from that time, did you feel like you got a diamond from the coal, the pressure on you and stuff like that? Oh, definitely. Like the money wasn't really coming through at that time. It was really hard. I was eating on $50 per week. <laughs> Tuna and pasta was mm-hmm. my go-to with a little bit of olive oil. Yeah. It was a good, it was a good dish. But I was drinking copious amounts of Ribena. Ribena. <laughs> ribena and tuna pasta. I can get the tuna pasta, but the I was, Ribena. I, I just, I just um, adopted this like serious obsession for Ribena. Right. I wasn't drinking water and my friends were concerned. And my, my face was getting really puffy from too much sugar. Yeah. But I don't know. They're like, you, you could at least just try the less sugar one. And I'm like, no. This is it. I need the full, the full strength. Full strength to keep you going. So what I'm, you keep on talking about the isolating um, nature of what you're doing, and yet everybody spends all their time talking about how creators are collaborative, yeah? Tell me about that. Why is it that you can't find a sort of social network of creators? Because looked at from my point of view, it makes absolutely no sense that there haven't been coalitions of people forming together to give themselves a critical mass. It's certainly what you do if you were, you know, entrepreneurs together. It's, wow, let me take a breath before I ask this. It's a very interesting topic because 
I find personally a lot of creators, I'm not summing every single creator into this, but a lot of creators have somewhat of an ego with their following or they don't see the benefits of collaborating. I experience this a lot when I go back and forth from LA. There's no such thing as friendship there. No such thing. It's very transactional based. Or oh, what can I get from you? What can you get from me? So it's like my level of trust with creators and letting people in is really low because I've worked with a lot of people in the over the past few years that have just taken from me ideas, concepts, video ideas, little nitty gritty parts of social media that people like didn't really think about. And I kind of didn't understand that people could be like that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I always see people in a very positive light. So I love LA, beautiful place, but the creator scene is very toxic. Wow. It's... It's, and so you went there from somebody outside and still found yourself chewed up. You didn't feel like actually you got net advance to your career by being there. The only net advance with traveling to America in general is the size of the user base on TikTok. Mm -hmm. There's over 300 million people in yep. the US yeah. and they're the largest users of TikTok. So mm -hmm. there's a massive chunk of audience to be taken from there, trying their food and like that kind of stuff. But collaborating wise, it was really hard. People like would just like look you up and down until they saw your following count. And then they would go, oh, yeah, then they would be interested. And it was really at the start when I was going there, when I first started social media, when I had 50K was the first time I went to LA. It was a bit different. TikTok was a bit newer. And it was like, Everyone was growing with it. The platform was growing. So it was very easy to collaborate. And then post-2020, post-COVID, sorry, it just changed. Everyone has their followers, has their friend group. It's kind of like the same thing as high school in Australia. You have your friend group in high school. Don't talk to me if you're not in our friend group. Okay. It's interesting because I spoke to somebody who um, had, I think, a nephew who had a decent quality following, he found LA exactly the same, ended up in Nashville and that works just yeah. way better for him now. Well, that's why I'm so drawn to these Southeast Asia countries and potentially Europe mm -hmm. and Africa at the end of the year, is they're just more down to earth. Mm -hmm. They, they want to collaborate. They want to see you win. Everyone has a smile on their face no matter what their living standards are. It's just a better lifestyle in mm -hmm. my opinion and your money goes a lot further it certainly does <laughs> i got off my plane in melbourne the other night and got an uber eight minutes to the hotel because yeah. i needed to stay there for the layover 25 dollars for a nine minute uber and you were telling me a different price for your food in vietnam every day and then you get a grab or a gojek in vietnam malaysia um indonesia and it's it's 15 dollars for like two hours Certainly it just The math does not math. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. But so, I, so have you, as it stands today, could you name 10 people who actually are making a career out of social media who you'd have a weekend with? So not a beer, not a dinner, but you'd actually spend a weekend if you knew you were getting nothing out of it from a creator point of view, just for B 
being friends with them and having a good weekend? Would you have 10? Well, I'd probably have five. It's it's hard because this will this one might be kind of surprising. I don't watch much content. Mm-hmm. I like to produce content, but watching content, I find it too distracting. Mm-hmm. But the people I would love to just be friends with are the people that I've like looked up to my whole career on social media is like KSI from the from the UK. Logan Paul post his post um, his boxing match kind of time and watching mm-hmm. him mature with his podcast has been really educational and beneficial as a creative perspective. Probably Gary V. Not so much a full-time content creator, but just his knowledge and information that he shares about mm-hmm. social media, how it works. He is a real key figure that for me also just helped me grow on social media. Mm-hmm. Do this, do that, trial this, don't close yourself in a box. They're probably the, the top three I have off the top of my head. But out but, of that out of that list, probably Gary Vee, number one. But they're not friends. I'm just talking about meet some, you know, because I meet people in university, meet people in business, yeah. and one out of ten you say, yeah, I'd really like to spend a weekend with them, learn more about what they're doing and yeah. stuff like that, not sort of – I mean, the famous people, I'd love to spend a weekend yeah. with them, the ones that I've looked up to, my mentors and stuff like that. But I'm asking amongst the group of your contemporaries, you don't run into one and go, yeah, that guy's a cool guy or that chick's cool. I'd like to hang out with her. I do have a friendship group, but I it's very small. I have one friend from, I've just grown up and known him my whole life. He was my next door neighbor with the same age. Right. have him there pretty so much. So he's a friend for growing up more yeah. than a friend as and a creator. And then one of the people I live with in Melbourne, Xavier, he's mm-hmm. a producer slash artist mm-hmm. in, uh, coming out of Sydney and he's rock solid as well. Good friend, mm-hmm. good person to have. We both have the creative mindset. We both yep. understand our industry. So we kind of yep. can get each other a bit more, but mm-hmm. I love having more friends that do different things, not social media. Right. I don't personally like talking about what I do all the time or what I'm up to. It's just, a nice fresh breath of air to just talk mm-hmm. about other stuff, real yep. life stuff, crypto, all, all in between. Right. But I want to touch a bit more on the management side of people that wanting to become creators because it is it is quite tough learning it all yourself, which mm-hmm. you kind of have to. There's no there's no course on how to manage your TikTok and or write emails. Mm-hmm. I did business in high school and it taught me nothing (laughs) that what I do now, none of it was practical, but being able, if you are wanting to be a content creator, it is very important to understand you will be most likely filming the content yourself, editing the content yourself, posting the content yourself, reaching out to brands yourself, handling all the brand emails yourself, posting brand deals, making sure all the requirements and yada, yada, yada is all in line with what they want and that's a misconception because people think oh he has followers he has all this money in the world but working to get the money other than being like ad revenue which is just non-existent in Australia and we've mm-hmm. spoken about come on TikTok what are we doing <laughs> it's it's really difficult but it also sounds to me like the we're back to this earlier point which is in a low trust environment amongst the successful creators, there's no ability to confederate and say, okay, we all have this common problem. We've got audience, but we can't find revenue. Is there some way for us to collaborate? I can see how you're getting churned by 
the existing management structures and stuff like that that are just trying to churn you um, and spit you out. But I can't understand how you couldn't get five, you know, of you together, really own a position and find some way to hold it together long enough. Like it'd just be so much easier for somebody to be pitching five people of your scale yeah. than one person. Um, well, that's what it is now with my management. I'm really happy with who's managing me. He's more of, he was a friend first and I was trialing him. I was mm -hmm. testing him because of, I've been kind of jaded by a lot of managements mm -hmm. in the past. I'm mm -hmm. not going to name drop, but yeah. you learn about the ins and outs of how managements work, mm -hmm. the hidden agency fees, the percentage they take on top of what you're meant to get. Yep. So they end up making little more than you. More than you. Not all managements, but some of them do it. Mm -hmm. But now I'm with a management, uh, Riley Talent, and yeah, there's just five of us, very similar size, and it's a lot easier to push right. like for more conversion. And a lot of managements in Australia will, uh, worldwide as well, will want a huge roster of talent. They'll mm -hmm. sign 20 to 50 like creators. Yeah. How are they meant to manage all them? Mm -hmm. like equally like outreach it's just it becomes whoever's the best at the top just gets all the deals and the other ones are just waiting so it's really i think it's really good if you're a creator and you've already built a following and you're looking for management is to find more of a boutique like smaller kind of management because they'll look after you more you're more like important to them and do you and are the five people at Riley Talent the same size as you? Yeah, so the top creator is at 11.1 million. I'm at 9.9 .9 still, just ticking on that 10 million, just yeah. almost there. And then it trickles down from to like 4.6 million and then like 3 million I think is the last one. Mm -hmm. So it's we're all in the millions. It's all a bit more ex exponential growth than other creators and it's – it's good because we all are very much in the similar niche of kind of like Vox Park street interview style with the public, which mm -hmm. is kind of beneficial. So the brands and stuff, when they see like, okay, they're all very much aligned. They can all, we can all just do something similar and mm -hmm. switch it around. But Mark, because of the food videos, I'm, I'm exploding with work in Australia. I've well, never had so much attention. Mm -hmm. It's very different. We're going to have to probably review a sandwich together, I think. Good. I'm looking forward to it. I was thinking about we're going to go and do street food somewhere. I've got a restaurant for us in Jakarta for sure. Okay. Yeah. And then Lusaka. Lusaka. Have you been to Surabaya? Yep. I really want to go there. I think it's the home of the, the Indonesian food. All right. I've run out of stuff in Bali. I've done as much yeah. as I can because they only have they have their own traditional dishes from the Balinese people yep. and then they have a few local dishes which are always just popular everywhere. But... But how much of it is you want to find the restaurants and how much do you want to find, you know, things like durian, weird Asian food? I just love – I have the idea of hiring a tour bus from yeah. Bali, mm -hmm. driving through Java, through yeah. Saraiba, yeah. and just stopping along the way at the real nitty-gritty local mm -hmm. places, not the, uh, the yeah. more – franchised-owned places mm -hmm. now that exist in these countries, just the real local places. Well, the other place I think you should go is Sumatra. 
right? In Africa? No, no, oh, no, no, no. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that yes. is in Indonesia, I remember. Yes, yes, yes exactly. No, because <laughs> you've got to go and see the orangutans and yeah. there's some really, really cool food around there as well. So there's, there's one dish that I'm really excited to try in Indonesia. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's, I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's called ayam hitam mm -hmm. and it's a chicken yep. and it's just all black. The bones are black. The meat is black. The eyeballs yeah, are black. The coolest chicken. Yeah. yeah. I've never eaten it, but it's like, you got to see this. Go and Google it. It's the coolest looking bird you have ever seen. Yeah, we'll seen. put a photo up. It's just like, I've tried to ask so many yeah. people and they just look at me like, how do you know what that is? <laughs> I'd forgotten what the name was, but every time you see it, it's like. Ooh. And the other one we've got to do, if you're big into chicken, they have this breast chicken in France that's yeah. widely regarded as the best chicken to eat in the world. So do we do we have a deal? We'll try the the, the black chicken I'm in Indonesia. Certainly black black chicken for sure. <laughs> for we've sure. made a deal. It's really hard to buy though. I've heard it's yeah. only for ceremonies, but we'll we'll um we'll have a ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll come up with something for sure. That sounds like a fun little. Well, new, another piece of your. I don't know anything law. about politics. This is a couple of weeks time. They're having a presidential election in Indonesia. I, yeah, I've heard a little well, bit there about you that. Go. So you're I've not heard. completely. But isn't there just one party that's going to win? No, there's the one guy's going to win for sure. But no, and it's a all, proper democracy. No, they all work underneath them, don't they? They all. Then they all just yeah. join arms and negotiate. It's yeah, Indonesian politics is different, but it's a real democracy and. It's a really, really good neighbor for us to have. This is very off topic from this episode, but I want to keep talking about it because I learned something interesting when I was in Bali. Yeah. So Indonesia, there was 16 million tourists in the last year that flocked to Bali, mm -hmm. had a $50 entry rate. Mm -hmm. That is close to 900 million Australian dollars mm -hmm. just for letting people into the country. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a... It's such a um, misconception with Indonesia that it's a third world country. Mm -hmm. It has so much money. But it so goes... It's got so many people as well, but it's making it a phenomenal, phenomenal job yeah. of managing that number of people and growing. The difference between I went there first in 1990 and now, it's not the same place at all. Yeah. But as you've seen, Malaysia even more. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal what those countries have done yeah. and how they've changed. Well, yeah, Malaysia is a lot smaller population than yeah. Indonesia, that's for sure. But Bali is struggling at the moment. Really? The last two months has been the lowest amount of tourists yeah. they've had. Mm, everyone's, everyone's moving on to Thailand or yeah. Other staying at home. Mm. I don't like that. <laughs> no, well, it, Bali's never been my place. So I like Lombok. Um, yeah. Yeah, Komodo. I haven't though. been to Lombok. Yeah. I've been to Nusa Lombogan next to it. Right. A bit close to it. But yep. Lombok's where all the earthquakes are. Isn't Mate. it? Mate. <laughs> no. There's earthquakes sure? all over the place. You look at it, you're on a fault line. Have you been to Mount Injun? No. I want to go there. Do you know right. what it is? Yeah. The blue volcano? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot for us to do in Indonesia. There's a lot for us to do. And as I think I said, maybe not to you, but Tony Wheeler, the guy who's my friend and partner in Lonely Planet, the business, and founded it. And I always said to him, Tony, surely you're running out of places to go. And he says, no, for every place I go to, I find two more, every single place. The person's got some other idea and stuff like that. So 
I think it's also better to travel solo, solo sometimes because mm -hmm. I put myself in the deep end in Vietnam by myself, didn't mm -hmm. know anything about it, but it, it that looks really me. good. Your content yeah. from there and looked like you're having a really good time. I loved it. Well, I'm a free man now and I'm a free bird, a free spirit. And yeah. it was just like, oh, well, I'm just going to see where the day takes me, see where mm -hmm. the wind takes me. And I loved every moment of it. I'm very tired from it, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun to just film content very sporadically instead of very organized, which I am, but that was good. Are there any problems particular to 2024 that content creators are going to have this year that they haven't had in previous years? Competition. Really? It's a very feisty industry now. There's every single person is becoming a creator from when I started to now, the amount of content creators that exist in Australia and just worldwide has quadrupled. And now you're hearing that the younger generations that are in high school, they're saying that their top career choice is to do social media. Mm. It's... It's becoming very competitive, very hard to stand out. But that's why I think a lot of people listen to a lot of gurus on TikTok, mm -hmm. on TikTok, like, oh, you should do this. This is what will make you viral. Just film what you want to film, make the content you want to make about what your hobby or whatever it is. And I feel like that's how you, you're going to stand out in 2024 and going forward because everyone's kind of following what people are saying, oh, you should do this, you should follow trends, you should do that. It's just whatever you're passionate about, that's what you should be filming this year. And that's why I started traveling because that's what I'm passionate about. So it's interesting to me that in all of that, you don't mention the fact that all of the democracies this year have got elections. Yeah, well, Mark, it's just like... That's always there, you know, and it never changes. It's changed a lot of a lot of you've got Indonesia with two hundred and thirty million people in election. You've got whatever's gonna happen in America. But my point of view on that is it might be bad to you, is just like I can't decide or change what's gonna happen, so I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just really, really interested. Maybe maybe down the line you'll see me with a a jacket on. Well, guys, I hope you learned something new from this episode about kind of the negative side of social media. And me and Mark will see you in the next episode.